I took it upon myself to learn how to record a demo. And that's where it all began. I started going down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. We ended up recording a demo about six months later. And instead of people hitting us up and being like, hey, do you want to come play a show with us? We People were hitting us up and saying, where did you guys record? Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Focus Right Pro Podcast. This is a mostly bi-monthly show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. On the show today, Ted and I are joined by musician, engineer, producer, and founder of Joey Sturgis Tones, Mr. Joey Sturgis himself. We'll discuss getting started in a garage studio, making more money with your passion project than at your day job, developing plugins for music production based on a dare, and a whole lot more. All right. Hey, Joey Sturgis, welcome to the Focus Right Pro podcast. It's great to have you here. Uh, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Um, really excited about this. I've been uh, learning a lot about you over the last couple of days doing research online. I have to say, I didn't really know much about you until we started working on a contest together through uh, a mutual contact. And and when I started going down the rabbit hole, it um, it opened up a lot of information and you've led a very interesting life and you have a very interesting career. What first brought you uh, to work with sound? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's really funny because Destiny should have had me doing this kind of stuff maybe a lot earlier in life. And I know maybe I'm speaking from kind of a weird position there because I did get started when I was 19. But you would think that I would have started way earlier based on my family background. So everyone in my family plays music or sings or some kind of musical ability. And my uncle, Dan, lived you know, far away throughout most of my life. He lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was an actual, he had a recording studio. He was a producer. He mixed stuff. He made albums. And he would come to family gatherings like you know, every Easter, like every Christmas. And I had no interest in following his footsteps or anything, really. I would just kind of ask him, you know, how's the studio been? And he would kind of rattle off a couple things and I'd be like, cool. And I'd go back to playing like Dungeons and Dragons or something, you know, as a kid. But I learned how to play drums and guitar very early on. And so being in bands was never, it was like sort of a side fun passion thing. I think for some people that's maybe like a an abnormal thing, but for me, it was just kind of a normal part of life yeah. being in the family like I was. But I never thought, you know, I'm going to be in a band. We're going to make it big. We're going to make a big album, go on tour. Never had any aspirations like that. I was such a nerd. I was into computers. I was into board games. I played the first MMO, Ultima Online, when that came out mm -hmm. on dial-up. And people would pick up the phone and, and I would die in the game. And, <laughs> you know, I've been through all that stuff. So it was really interesting because throughout my life, it's like I started off, you know, kind of music, then got really heavy into computers. And I kind of went back and forth on those two things over and over again. Even like after I started working with bands, there was a period of time in my 20s where I went back and like tried to make a video game and tried to build it into a business and launch it online and do all these things. And I was just kind of going back and forth. And it was just so serendipitous that later in my in my late 20s when i decided to make a software company that creates audio so it was finally like all the stuff i had learned about computers and programming mixed with all the experience i had had with music in my life and working with other people it just all came together and 
and here I am. And now I've started multiple ventures in this space and mm. been able to help the audio production community at large. Nice. Um, when you when you first started out, were you originally a grindcore, metalcore type of guy, or were you into different kinds of music? I know you mentioned jazz, which it's funny that um, people who were into like very heavy music also were very into classical and jazz, which I, it was funny. I was thinking about that on a walk yesterday, just trying to connect the dots. And it's it's very technical music, either way you look at it. But uh, yeah, how did you first get involved with, with those those genres? Well... I was in a, I loved extreme music. Yeah. I really did when I was younger. I liked grindcore and uh, extreme metal drumming. I was a drummer in a grindcore band for a while. Yeah. Gravitated a little bit towards metalcore as well. When I got sick of promoting and marketing a grindcore band is like impossible. <laughs> um, so, but that actually ended up being the reason why I became a producer. So I started playing drums in this grindcore band and we were like we want to do something more than just practice in our basement and play our songs over and over again let's have like let's go play like a show that'd be cool how do we get on a show well i guess people need to know what we sound like first to, for yeah. us to be able to like show them you know hey we we should be a part of the show so i took it upon myself to learn how to record a demo and that's where it all began i started going down that rabbit hole mm -hmm. we ended up recording a demo about six months later put it up on myspace and instead of people hitting us up and being like, hey, do you want to come play a show with us? We People were hitting us, us up and saying, where did you guys record? Yeah. And so I, <laughs> at first, my my vocalist, he was the guy that was running the, My, the MySpace page. He was like, hey, man, what do you want me to say to all these people? There's like <laughs> actually a ton of dudes like hitting me up and saying, where did you record? And I'm like, I don't know, just like make something up for now. Let's let's get back to focusing on the show. It just became a huge problem. And so eventually I was like, Screw it. Maybe this will be a cool way to meet bands. Yeah. And I told my friend who I, I we recorded all of this stuff in my friend's garage and he had it set up where like he went inside of the garage and put up like drywall. So when you walked inside the garage, it was almost like you're walking inside of a normal room that you would expect to see in a house. It didn't look like a garage on the inside. And he had made a little drum room and he put up like some glass in the middle so that you could see the drummer through the control and all this stuff. So I had to go to him and be like, hey, this is kind of weird, but a bunch of strangers on the internet want to <laughs> come here to your house and record in this garage, and uh, they want me to do it. So uh, how does that work? <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, he was like, well, just give me 10%, and I guess it's all right. Wow. And so that's how the whole thing began. Wow, that's really wow. cool. That's um, crazy. What were you using to record with back then? Aardvark Q10, going into like a compact pc with a pci serial connector card mm -hmm. and let's see what we had a behringer mixer mm -hmm. i think it was like eight channels this was like the very beginning of home recording yeah like yeah just super crappy stuff and like i was even having to bus i took the toms i'd plug three different toms into the mixer and do an aux out into one input into the uh q10 so I got three channels into one. And then when I mixed it, I would just literally, as the drummer played the different toms, I would automate the panning. Oh, wow. Oh, that's funny. Because like I could yeah. didn't have separate tracks. Oh, that's amazing. The Aardvark <laughs> stuff was pretty cool, though. Back for what it was back then, it sounded pretty good. I remember working on a project once with these Aardvark converters and they were like, they were like a little box, right? And they, you know, they weren't a one U or two U rack space the ones that i worked with were like a little project box and they were metal and they had quarter inch connectors and 
yeah and, it, and they connected to a card i think right in the computer or something and it was um like running it with cubase or something yeah, yeah really, I, I was on cubase yep yeah it worked really well and it uh, at the, for the time and it sounded pretty good it sounded way better than a lot of the other stuff that was out there yeah. So that's funny, Aardvark. I wonder whatever happened to that guy. <laughs> it's, a, it's another show. We should uh, go down that rabbit yeah. hole with him. <laughs> um, are you still playing drums and guitar? You know, I pick it up now and then. We have guitars laying all over our house, and so it's really easy to just sit on the couch and just literally reach over and grab one and yeah. doodle on it a little bit. But drums, not so much. I know I can still do it, though. I went to, I think the last time I sat down at a kit, I was at like a Halloween party, and someone had a drum set in their basement. And I just went down there and like jammed on it for a little bit. And I was like, oh, still got it. But it's been years, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going, going back, it's, there's always that one guy in a band, right? That, that ends up being the producer, engineer, mixer guy. And it, it, it seems to be the rhythm section, either the drummer or the bass player. And in, in this situation, it seems like it was the drummer. So it's good. The bands that have that person that has that talent seem to go a, a lot farther. And, and you took it to another extreme. What happened to the band that you were playing with back then? Did you guys just go your separate ways? Uh, do you ever jam with those guys or talk to those guys anymore? <laughs> I haven't spoken to them in a long time. The band fizzled out on its own because of a few different things. The The guitar player was having issues with sort of making it down for practice and, and having to trade, you know, hey, I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to yeah. do that. And I think he also at the time was having a kid. Yeah. And then we got a different guitar player. Then it was like the exact opposite problem. We weren't moving fast enough for him. Like he wanted to do like tons and tons of stuff. And we were like, uh, we'll just want to practice like once a week and kind of do that kind of thing. And Joey's going to keep recording these bands and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah, it just fizzled out. And then luckily there was like all these things merging at the same time. It was like the band was dying. I was getting sick of my job. I was working a nine to five job at a computer shop. And just not getting paid that much. I was making more on the weekends than I made throughout the whole week. <laughs> and so I just I got to that pivot point where I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to only record bands. And I'm going to just really focus on this because people seem to want to hire me for whatever that reason is. Yeah. And then um, that was the rocket fuel because then I found the Devil Wars Prada. Yeah. I did a record with them. They got signed. The guy who owned the record label wanted to become my manager. So he became a manager then I bought my first house and then turned it into a, a studio. And then we just went, we were doing 10 records a year for a decade. Oh man. And it was a, a, a it was a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It is a lot of work. And you're a, a completely in the box producer from what I, what I understand. Um, is, is there anything you do in the analog realm? You know, when I started to get on the bigger records and that had the budgets, we would flirt with some of that stuff. And then and later in my career, like, you know, the last, you know, few big albums I did, we would go to different studios for different things. We would go to a studio specifically to track drums, but the majority, I would say literally 80% of my entire catalog and all of my work is basically in the box. Like yeah. in some cases, not even using very much of a preamp or outboard compressors or anything like that. Yeah. Like just literally plugging right into the interface and just manipulate the crap out of it once it's in the computer. Yeah. And, and that, and that leads me into my, into my next question. So you plug the guitars and, and bass directly in, and then you're just using the standard like audio interface, uh, mic pre's for your drum kit and all, all your different drum mics. When did you make the call to start developing your own products, your own, uh, because you, you have a great library of products that you're developing now. Uh, when did you make that call? You know, as my, my friend, my good friend, 
gave me a call one day and the best way to describe him is like, he's kind of like an inventor and he's kind of like a, uh, he likes to think about the future a lot. He's trying to invent like the world's next standard of guitar. Like mm-hmm. he's, he has a module, he basically invented an entirely modular guitar where you can change it from six string to seven string. Mm. You can change the pickups. You can completely pull out all the wiring and plug in another set of wiring. It's like all completely modular. It's pretty nuts. And, uh, Sometimes he thinks really big. And so one time he called me and he's like, dude, I dare you to make a plug-in. He's like, <laughs> you should you. take, yeah. And I'm like, dude, come on, man. And I was really turned off by it because I knew, you know, if you was going to make a plug-in, you'd have to compile down to 20 targets, which means, you know, you got AAX, AU, VST, VST3 for 32-bit. And then you got to do all those for 64-bit. Then you got to do all those for Windows and then all those for, for Mac. And uh, that kind of stuff for me was just like, eh, not fun. But then I just, I don't know, it just kept rattling around in my head. And I got to the point where I I had a couple days off from something that I was doing. And I was like, I didn't know what to do with my time. So I was like, maybe I'll just play around with it. Just see what's going on. And that turned into about two months of obsessing over a compressor design idea that I had. And that ended up becoming gain reduction. And the very first, so so I I should rewind a little bit because back in 2009, I started a a drum sample store and the way, the way I came to that conclusion was I was working with bands. I would record all their stuff. And at the end of the session, I'd be like, okay, now for safety, I want to record like all of the drum samples so that if I have to fix anything, you don't have to come back here and I can just plug it in. I was making these really elaborate, like contact libraries just for myself to use. And then it would just sit on my hard drive. And I, one day I was like, I literally opened my hard drive and I was just sitting there looking at it. And I was like, I could be doing something with this. What if I put it online? I wonder if people would want to buy this. So I tried that and it turned out to be a big success. That ended up mutating over the next period of like, let's say five years or so. That mutated into me having another store online where I started to sell presets Mm -hmm. because so many people were hitting me up on Twitter saying, how did you make that guitar tone? How did you do this? How did you do that? So I started selling those presets to people because they just wanted it. And then when I messed around with this plugin idea, I was like, oh, you know, I could just take that plugin I just made and put it on that store and make like a nice little graphic and type up a couple paragraphs of text and let's see if anybody would buy it. And uh, that's kind of how that how it really began. People answered with their wallets and I was like, okay, I guess this is what people want from me. So yeah, maybe maybe I should try this. And and looking at your site, your plugins and everything that you offer is rather affordable. You you seem to be very budget friendly for everybody, which is really great. And even, you know, looking through there, you have things that are just marked down and on sale. And that's, I think that's great that you're not unattainable for musicians of pretty much any level. And that that's quite important. I think. It really started inside of a Facebook group that I built and I didn't have any kind of real reason behind it other than just wanting to have community online and have people to connect with in in this crazy music production world where we're all sitting in our caves for hours of uh, you know of time to to make stuff sound cool so when i launched all this stuff it was just as easy as like going into my group and being like hey uh, i made a plugin <laughs> you know yeah. and so I've always been, I've always seen myself as a provider for the community. And I've always tried to make my company based around community first. Mm-hmm. And we spend a lot of energy and time 
highlighting what our customers do with our products and trying to showcase their creativity because I realized that over time, you know, the Joey Sturgis show is going to get pretty boring and stale. I don't want it to be all about me all the time. Plus, I'm kind of known for being like the metalcore guy, and I wanted to branch out and create solutions for other genres and things like that. So it's just been more about the the overarching community around the thing. Yeah. I'm going to put Ted on the spot here for a second. I know Ted got a chance to to check out one of your plugins, as people might know. I am definitely not a guitar player, but Ted is a bit of a guitar player and got to check out Tone Forge uh, Guilty Pleasure. Ted, uh, do you want to talk about your, your first experiences that you had with that? Well, just plugging in and uh, yeah, just right away, there was a tone there that I was really impressed with. The attack on, you know, the amp that, that it was emulating just sounded like a real amp. I mean, it sounded, it reacted to my, my playing the same way. It, you know, I could get a little feedback out of it right away. It just had, I, you know, I don't know how to describe it. It just, it felt like a real amp right away and it sounded like one. And, you know, I've got some pretty good monitors, yeah. but it, you could tell it was, it was very reactive. It reacted the same way to me as like a Marshall, you know, like a JCM, you know, amp from back in the day, it just really had that, that power and that grit right away. And the bite, it was just like, wow, I could use this right. I like, and I didn't touch anything. I just, you know, enabled it on, on a track real quickly in pro tools and, uh, and started playing and it, you know, it was like, yeah, I didn't have to do anything. It was pretty funny. That's... And then, uh, and then, you know, dive a little deeper and you've got some effects in there, some pedals you can add the EQ and stuff, but it was, um, it truly was one of those where you just plug in and open it up and it sounded great. Like it yeah. was really cool. That's really fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. Because a lot of them are not like that. You know, yeah. a lot of them you kind of play around or you have to load a preset, try a bunch of presets to start with, and then you start playing around. But this right away, just, just, I was just adjusting gain too. I just wasn't even, you know, on the input and it was just great. Yeah. One of the things I fun. set out to do with my, my plugins was to set them the way that I wanted them to be set when they first open. So you have basically you have a, pro, a producer slash mixer mind um, mm-hmm. setting yeah. these parameters so that right when it opens, it's like, boom, that's, that's what I wanted to sound like. Significant you know? there. Yeah. 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 No, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So I can't wait to use it on a, on a real project. Yeah. Something I, I read about you, Joey, which was really interesting to me is when you start producing a band, you, you take all of their demo material and you compile it up and you get your favorite tracks and then you start adding different layers to it. And you're not adding layers to a demo track. You're adding final layers with your pads and your synths and things like that. And and that takes a, a very special ear. And I, I don't know if there's a question coming out of this. I, um, is there anything you want to comment to on that? Because that's... It, I mean, to me, I wouldn't want to do it twice. Is that is that kind of where this was born from for you? Yeah, I'm obsessed with optimization in every part of my life. You know, you would you would know it from my my morning routine if you were my roommate, for example. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to making records and doing it over and over and over again, like I did, I just would obsess over every single detail. Like, how are we doing this? Like, what's the order? What's the process? Mm-hmm. I get it down to where it was more of a machine. You know, it was kind of like, mm-hmm. We're going to go two days drums, two days this, two days that. Then we're going to circle back and do this, 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 this. And uh, basically got to the point where I felt like the the most creative moment in this whole process 
was always the first time I heard the song. Hmm. Always. And I realized that there was no way for me to do what I normally do at the end of a record at the beginning because it's not done yet. It's not there yet. Yeah. And so what I had to do is basically develop a, an almost backwards process where I told the band, like, look, I know you need to come in here with some stuff. You need to come in here with some material. And I know that might be not what you're used to. Maybe you like to write with your producer or maybe you kind of want to do some things and we can do some of that. But the meat and potatoes of this thing is please go out there and like really just put your ideas on paper. Even if it's a mess, I don't care because I need like I can't just start with a white piece of paper, like a blank canvas. I need to have something to start with. And what would be so amazing about it is that even when I got the songs that were let's just call them not as great as the other ones. Those songs actually sometimes would turn into the singles because they would be so in such a broken state that it would give me so much creativity and inspiration to like kind of fix it and make it better. And so one of the things I always say about myself and, and what separates me from other producers is that I am always trying to bring out the super uh, hero version of the artist, the comic book character version of the artist making everything larger than life, everything like more grand, more cinematic, more dramatic. And I, a lot of those moments would come from that first hour with the track where I, I pull up the track, I hit play for the first time. And like literally within five seconds, 10 seconds, I hit stop and I'm like, oh, there needs to be a reverse snare there. And then I would put it in there and I'd hit play again and I'd keep going. And just without even hearing the whole song all the way through, I'm, I'm like already adding stuff. Yeah. And my philosophy with that was, if there's too much, we can always pull back. We can always take things away. Mm-hmm. If this is too crazy, too chaotic, maybe there's too many leads happening at the same time. Now we have options. We can choose the lead that was already there or the lead that I wrote over top of it. Or maybe we can find a way to make both of them work. Whatever the case, I was trying to basically throw as many of those spark moments like into the track so that they wouldn't fade away and they wouldn't go away through the whole process of having to actually you know, the tedious process of like executing a record. Um, yeah. This next question I'm going to ask, I already know the answer to, but I, I want to hear you say this, but where did you learn all of this? Where did I learn all well, of this? I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know the exact answer, but I know, <laughs> I, I know what the answer is not on this one. Yeah. And I, I just want, I want to hear your story about where you learned how to, how to get such a great sound. It's hard to pinpoint exactly where it comes from, but it's like, I can tell you like different moments that I think all led to this. The One of the first things that I know led to this is back when I was a teenager and I was messing around with my computer and trying to like do recording for the first time, I got this DAW called a Sony Acid Pro mm-hmm. and they had an email list that they started where you could get files, royalty-free files that you could play with in the DAW. They give them to you once a week. And so every week they'd have a different theme. And I just remember downloading those files, bringing them into my session, and then thinking to myself, everyone that's on this email list has these same files right now. Mm -hmm. What can I do with these files to make something that no one else would figure out or think of? And that turned into a fun little thing that I would just do on my own. And then my friends found out about it because I would sometimes I would share with them like, hey, I I made this like weird thing. Listen to it. And uh my friends, they wanted to like rap. So they would be like, hey, can I rap over this? And I would be like, I guess, <laughs> you know. And so that was a thing for a little while. And then as time goes on, I worked with 
the Devil Wears Prada, they were very adventurous and wanted to experiment with a lot of different things. And I think they taught me a lot about production subconsciously almost as if just I had to rise to the occasion. It was like they could work with anybody, but they chose me for some reason and I want to make this happen for them. Like it's almost like they challenged me to bring out the best in them. And as we were making this record, I'm thinking like, how am I going to make this chorus hit harder than any chorus, any other chorus that's going to hit. And my brain is instantly going back to, Oh, maybe I can put like a sound effect on there. That's going to enhance it or something. And that just kind of came about organically. And then over time, I just learned like, if you want to make your, song sound like a movie you have to put like movie sound effects in it you know it's just kind of part of how you get there there's not you can't just tell the drummer like okay but hit the kick and the cymbal harder like no matter how many times or how hard you hit that kick and cymbal it's still just a kick and cymbal you're not going to get the explosion sound unless you put an explosion sound in there and it just sounds so i know it sounds very pragmatic but it's it's the truth and i think i just iterated and iterated on that as I learned how to produce and mix and and it just became this kind of thing that I was known for and and also I do want to give a lot of the bands credit because they were coming in with crazy ideas Mm -hmm. and I was crazy enough to try them like when people would say hey uh we have this breakdown in the song but we want to put like a 60 piece uh orchestra over top of it can you like figure out how to make that work and I was like yeah I'll try that sounds crazy and epic so let's figure it out (laughs) so just a lot of chat people challenging me i think you know you just don't say no no i i really uh talked myself out of doing that like a long time ago because i realized that whenever i wanted to have an idea and somebody would tell me no i would be like well can't we just try it yeah and you got to use that logic both ways you know yeah, I think that's important for a producer to to have that attitude, to, yeah. you know, to not be so focused that you you just follow one path that you take into consideration trying other avenues and other streets to go down in case, you know, you end up somewhere you you should be. It's uh that's a sign of a good producer, I think, who kind of collects all that together and and turns it into something. And at the end of the day, if it is something that you don't like, you let the band decide that, not yourself. You know, it's it's really their song and their art. You're just there to assist them to get that art out of them. So, you know, at the end of the day, you try out all of these things that they like. And at the end of the day, they don't like it. Then, you know, at least you tried and you, they don't build up animosity towards you because you wouldn't try it. So then it builds trust between the producer and the band. And then I think it feels like a more um, a natural process to me. Uh, you know, you don't have that, the drummer or the singer or someone just mad at you the whole time because you wouldn't try their, their cool idea. Exactly. Yeah. You know, everything's personal to everybody. So yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, bringing it back, talk to us about the courses you teach and the eBooks that you've written, because I, I saw some of those on your website. It looks like quite a few different things that you teach on there. Yeah, so I started getting into online education sort of naturally through being a host of this Facebook forum and having a lot of questions being asked in there and sort of learning how to answer things properly and learning how to be an educator over time just because I had the group. It was almost like I had to sort of be a part of this uh, this conversation. I couldn't just let questions go unanswered. And I was also really eager to answer things because I just felt like I knew the answer. 
Yeah. Uh, so people would ask questions. I go, oh, I know exactly why they're asking this question. I know how what the answer is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw something online. I saw um, Creative Live, and I saw like all these different producers working with them and doing these classes. And I was like, why haven't they picked me yet? I felt kind of like excluded, you know? Yeah. And so I ca- I reached out to a couple different people and figured out you know who who I needed to talk to, I guess. And uh, it, it ended up being one of my good friends now and, and now business partner, Finn McKenty. He was doing the director of audio at Creative Live. And so we worked out a two course kind of thing. I came and did the first one and I was really nervous for it, but I was like, I guess this isn't much different than me being in the studio and having that one dude in the band who like is obsessed with recording. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's probably going to start his own recording studio after this. And he's always asking me questions. I guess this is kind of the same thing, except there's cameras turned on. Yeah. So that was my approach. That class did really well. Actually, one of the best-selling classes of the whole audio program over there at Creative Live. And around that same time, I met my business partner, Al Levy. Al had done a class before me, actually several classes before me. And he had helped me with my class too. He helped me sort of get ready for it. And we became good friends over that process. And decided, you know, he wanted to start an audio school. His original idea was to start a physical school that people would come to down in Florida. We did a couple boot camps where we had people fly in and we we would host events where there was like 12 to 15 people coming down to his recording studio in Florida. I would fly down. I would be like a guest educator. And we were kind of doing our own like in-person creative live events, but they had nothing to do with creative live. And then that sparked the idea, hey, we kind of know what we're doing here. What if we just tried to start this as a business? What if we took this, everything that we've learned from doing these couple different experiences and maybe try to make an online version of this? And that was the idea, but we were like, this is going to take a lot of work and a long time. So maybe what we could do in the meantime, which would be easier is a podcast. So while we're trying to plan the school and figure out what that is, we're also doing this podcast thing. And we run the podcast, it runs its full course for like 12 months. And at that point, we just didn't have very many people. We didn't have as many people as we thought we would. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, we need to pivot. And that's when we came up with the idea for Nail the Mix. We wanted to teach mixing education online, but we didn't want to do it in the same format that it had been done before, which was video, several, basically, I call it a pile of videos. Yeah. So we came up with this whole new way of doing it where it's live streaming and the people in the chat can ask questions while I'm doing things and I can chime in. And we tested this. We got 250 people to sign up immediately the first month. The second month, we got another 250 people. And so right out of the gate, in the first two months of that pivot, we were at 500 users, monthly active users. That's amazing. And wow. uh, now we're at 5,000. So that's been my introduction to the education world. And, and since then, I've learned how to put together courses. I've learned how to teach people. And, and I have a lot of fun doing that. And uh, Nail the Mix, I, I never connected the dots in the past, but I've worked with them. Is that um, they do some contests as well, right? Yeah. Part of the service is that you get to be um, you get to participate in what we call our mixing poll. It's basically a representation of all the community's mixes of the song that month. Yep. Like, for example, if it's Papa Roach is the band, yep. you would be downloading their files. Everybody that's in the community and in the membership has the ability to download them and mix them in their own way and upload them to our server. Mm-hmm. And then we randomize and 
obscurificate all the information so that nobody knows who's each other's mixes are and it's a blind vote then we That's have great. yeah the person who's number one gets the sponsor and I, I know you guys have sponsored a few times and yeah it's just such a great like we wanted to do it not just because it's a fun activity but at the end of the day, you're rewarding your audience with the same tools that are going to make them better producers. And so it all fits in with this, the mission, which is let's teach them how to mix, but let's also give them great tools and great opportunities to get those tools. And uh, it's always been a very fun part of it. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that you were involved with that. And yeah. And I'd, I'd like to participate with that again, because I thought that was really cool what you did there. I was really impressed by that. That was actually when I was very early on it in my career at Focusrite. Um, but yeah, that, that's really cool. Sounds like a fun process that, yeah. Yeah. You know, having it kind of an, an anonymous, uh, you vote on uh, anonymous mixes and yeah, I think that's, and I don't know about that, Ted. That I'll must speak- be a lot of fun. I'd love to listen to someone just sit yeah. in and listen to, you know, 10 different takes of the same tracks. I think that would be 10 different takes on the same tracks. I think we had a, that would be great. TLA was on and he did yeah. um, angels and airwaves. I did, that was recent, right? That just happened. Yeah. That was in January. Yeah. And it was so cool because at the end he, uh, he actually on the stream listened to some of the students mixes and uh, gave them mixing critiques right there on the spot. Oh, that's great. Oh, very yeah. cool. Wow. I, I'm going to speak for myself here, but I, I haven't been working on anything in, in quite a while. So to be able to, just to get some new material and stems to work with and multi-tracks, that, that would just be great to just try to keep your chops up, if nothing else. Even if you have no intention of trying to win the thing, but, you know, yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, yeah, Ted, do you do that as well? Do you do you, do you miss the mix, Ted, and, and getting uh, new new files? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I do miss the whole process of opening tracks for the first time and, and becoming excited about, you know, especially if it's a bigger artist that you've followed or, you know, or whatever and listening and, and, you know, being in control of shaping a song, helping to shape a song, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I do miss that process. And it it would be interesting to, I mean, I could see how back when I was starting, man, if I had access Mm -hmm. like this to uh, angels and airwaves tracks or something that I knew was, you know, pretty substantial, Wow, what a learning process! What yeah. a great tool! Like that's really a great service that you provide for, for young mixers and uh, you know beginners. And that's something that I got that when I was in school, we we ended up with multi tracks and things like that, and we would try to mix to match it to what it was. And I was kind of alluding to this earlier with a previous question that you didn't really, you didn't answer. But you're you're fully self taught here. You didn't go to music school, right? Yeah, uh, I didn't know if I should bash on the schools or not, but you know, basically. It's fine. I, it's, you know, these days things are different. I learned a lot of stuff on the internet, man. Mm-hmm. And I'm naturally, I am a self-learner. I really will go out of my way. Like, for example, over the last couple of years, I've taught myself the stock market and how to trade and those kinds of things. And it's just me going out there, reading as many articles, watching as many videos as I can, and yeah. just trying to connect the dots and trial and error. Yeah. That's what I've done my whole career. And I've you know, I, I barely graduated high school. I tell people that all the time. I actually had to graduate in summer school. So like everyone had like their prom and the, the graduation ceremony. I didn't get to do any of that. I had to actually keep going to school when school went, went out on my senior year, you know, barely graduated. And then I was working a job. I had a computer job. And so it was just like, I felt like I had all of the wherewithal to learn for myself. And mm-hmm. I never really needed to go to college or anything like that. Yeah. Um, no, that's, and, that's great. 
No, yeah, it's self-taught. Fantastic. Yeah, wow. I don't think you're bashing on school at all. I mean, you know, it's just just what you took it's away just from a different it. approach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and just to contrast here, I did go to music school, and what am I doing? I'm <laughs> I'm not recording or mixing anything other than podcasts. And and you have a, a fantastic company that you've built. You've done some fantastic records. It sounds like you were doing about a hundred a year. You were saying, uh, ten a year. Ten a year. I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah. Um, over hundred total. Over ten. <laughs> over. Yeah, that's right. I had the hundred in my head because you said ten. Uh, ten a year over ten years. Yes. So, uh, with <laughs> yeah, all- it it was a grind. You know, I I it was kind of this thing where there was a lot of incentive to really do a lot of work because number one. That was the time period where a genre was breaking out, which mm-hmm. was the new metalcore genre that was breaking out. It was happening very fast and growing very fast. Secondly, I had a manager who will make 10% of anything that I do. And so he's going to keep me busy because he wants to get that 10%. Yeah. And I also, at the same time, was paying for my first house and all, all those things you do as you become an adult. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, we were just on the grind. It yeah. was just like, and I here's the other thing that went with all that is the demand. The demand was insane to the point where we never built a website. We never had an off month. It was just, so, the word of mouth was so crazy. We were getting emails and calls, my manager was, and we had to turn a lot of people away, like almost all the time. And I would be booked for eight months out in advance. And wow. so, yeah, it was just a crazy time. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) I'm booked out, but I just have a day job. Um, (laughs) As busy as you were and as as busy as you continue to be, how do you keep yourself on the cutting edge of audio technology? You know, I think if you're subscribed, I'm I'm subscribed to as many things that you can be in this place Mm -hmm. and in this market. And I'm also a very big proponent of keeping up to date with what's going on in in the market. Like stay tuned to Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know? checking out what everybody's posting every single day, making the rounds. I like a lot of, I'm very good at like networking when it comes to an industry. If I want to get into the music, the pro audio industry, for example, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to network my butt off and meet as many people as I can. And when you have those relationships building, you know, you really do have your ear to the ground. If something crazy happens or there's some big moment, I'll know about it before most people because just one of my friends will tell me, sure. you know, and it'll be somebody that is either on the inside or or is very close to those projects. And that's so it's kind of like just you're well connected and your ears to the ground and you you kind of know what's going on. So before we wrap up here, what advice would you give to the 19 year old out there that is you that's on the same path that you were uh, at that age? You know, I think. There's a few years there where I didn't understand the team player concept. It was kind of like the Joey Sturgis show and uh, really regret that for a number of years and learned my lesson, thankfully, before it became a big problem. But yeah, be a team player. Realize that everybody on the record wants the record to be good. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says that sucks or let's change that. It's because they think that's what will make the record better. And you would do the same if you heard something and you thought that would make the record better. So everyone's on an even playing field. I would stress that to myself. And I would also, let's see, what other advice would I give myself? I would say, yeah, networking. I stayed in my shell for so long. I didn't get out into the world until after I turned like 20, I want to say like 26, 27. 
And when I say that, I mean that quite literally. Like I didn't leave my hometown until I was that age. So that's a whole bunch of 20s. It's yeah. a lot of your 20s where you're not out partying. You're not out experiencing social yeah. engagement. I wasn't doing any of that. And yeah. so I really lived my 20s in my I am living my 20s now in my 30s. <laughs> That's funny. Well, good. I didn't. This is a this is a cool thing because I've told the, some of the story here. I worked with my manager for five years before I met him. Wow. Wow. Up to that point, I had only talked to him on the phone and through email. I've never I've seen a couple pictures of him, yeah. but I didn't know what he looked like, really kind of looked like. And I didn't even know what he was like. And so. That wow. was a really weird. I, the first time I met him, I went to South by Southwest in Texas. And that was the first time I really like left my house and went anywhere. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. But you were grinding and you were building the Joey Sturgis brand, you know, instead yeah, of the Joey exactly. Sturgis show, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it became a brand and that's the most powerful thing you can take with you. Is there anything else that we missed? Anything you'd like to plug or talk about before we, we wrap things up? I uh, just, really want to thank you guys for having me. And I just want to say out there to anyone, like, you know, if you are trying to get started with anything, even if it's not music related, start before you're ready. You're not ever going to be ready to, you know, you can't strategically think of every possible strategy and you can't think of every possible thing that's going to go wrong. You're, you you got to dare to fail a little bit. Yep. And once you do that, you learn from the response or the reaction or the outcome from those actions. And that's what drives you forward. And when I started recording, I kind of just jumped right in and uh, didn't even know how to use a click track when I started. So <laughs> my first record that came out on a record label was not recorded with a click track because I didn't know how to use one. Wow. How crazy is that? So I mean, just, you're a, you must've been a drummer with a, with a great uh, timing, but yeah. that that's a really powerful message. And I think that's a great place to end. Joey, thank you very much. That was a great ending to this. Uh, we appreciate your time today. I'm speaking for myself and Ted. Really enjoyed having you here. Keep up the good work and keep making kick-ass records. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focus Right Pro Podcast. This mostly bi-monthly podcast is produced and hosted by me, Dan Hughley, for Focus Right. Music is by Merlin. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at FocusRight Pro. For more information, please visit our website at www.pro.focusright.com.